You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. It pleased Darius to appoint, this is Daniel 6 in the NIV version, but if you want to follow along. So it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set over him, to set him over the whole kingdom. (laughs) I'm out of breath. (laughs) Yeah, I should sing it instead. That'll help. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any bias for charges against the man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went to the group to the king, went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce that the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being under any other god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. These men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him, about his royal decree. Did you not publish such a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day, and when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort to, until sundown to save him. Then the men, as a group, went to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no degree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of nobles, of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the sight of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the lion's den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, who you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. 
My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done anything to wrong you before, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wounds were found on him, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown to the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. <laughs> then, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves and he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Thanks, Keenan. Wow, right? Super well-known story, as you guys are probably aware. Uh, I imagine most of you have heard it before. Um, <clears throat> This is, this is like the end of the stories of Daniel's interactions with the kings and the kingdom in Babylon. Uh, we've been looking into this story for the last few weeks into the book of Daniel and into this time period, the exilic literature of the people of Israel. And the reason we've been looking at this is because we see so much parallel between this time for God's people Israel and our time today. And I, even before I keep going, I want to hit pause and just say one thing. Uh, Kenan, Kenan opened up the scripture saying, man, I didn't even want to stop worshiping. Let's listen to this as worship. I want, I want to say to you, as we look in God's word, this is part of our worship together today. We're, we're looking at something that God did in history, this story, this record of his interactions with his people and in the earth. And that very posture of looking into it and listening to it and considering it and meditating upon it like Becky and Keenan are doing with their group is actually an act of worship. So I just want to encourage you to like, Whatever that looks like for you internally, just holding your heart in that posture of like, God, what are you saying? Who are you? What do you reveal in this? All right? Can we do that? Good. So, so this whole idea of God's people in this time of exile is that they went from, as you've heard me say the last few weeks, this monotheistic culture in Jerusalem where there's one true living God that they serve, and that shaped their culture when they were doing well. And then they get brought to Babylon, this pluralistic society, many gods, many moralities, many forms of worship, on and on. And the pluralistic mantra is essentially believe whatever you want, serve whatever God you want, just keep it to yourself and don't oppose the agenda. And I've said it last few weeks, I hope you see it, that there's a lot of similarity to that and today, right? And so we've been asking this question, how do we engage with this pluralistic society but not assimilate to it? And we looked weeks ago about being 
of a different diet, which makes us of a different spirit. We looked at this idea the next week about moving in like Jeremiah told the people and uh, working for the good of a city, praying for its good, being a blessing to it. Last week, we looked at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, very similar to this story, not bowing down to the idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And this idea of not bowing and assimilating to culture through that posture. And today, I want to I look through this story with the lens, the framework, if you will, of just good old-fashioned faithfulness. I really believe like that's what we can see in this story is this faithfulness. And I want to do a quick kind of review of it. I know we just read it. But what we can see at the beginning is that King Darius, who's, you know, one of multiple kings now that Daniel has served under. He wants to set up 120 satraps over the provinces of Babylon. And then three administrators over them, right? And so that you've got essentially these 120 administrators and then three executive administrators. And the satraps collected taxes, enforced laws, et cetera, et cetera, right? And Darius wanted to have three executives over them, one of whom was Daniel, so that he wouldn't suffer loss. And it says that Daniel so distinguished himself among his colleagues and his peers that Darius wanted to actually make him the one executive administrator over them all. And the result of this promotion for Daniel was that his peers were jealous. They felt threatened. Can you see that in the story? Remember that phrase that the king was doing this so that he might not suffer loss? It's very likely that there were people in administrative positions with some corruption, with some collusion, with some lining of the pockets, and all the taxes weren't getting to the king's treasury. And you have a guy like Daniel in that position, and those guys weren't too happy about it because there was an integrity. It says of Daniel, right, that they could find in him no corruption or negligence. In other words, Daniel wasn't just a man of a high morality. He was also good at his job. He was like an auditor, and, and it just things didn't get by him. There was this excellence about him, right? And so they were feeling worried. They were feeling jealous. And so they go to the king, and they've got this plan. You know, we're going to, the only way we're going to get this guy put away is if we find something that's going to go against the law of his God. Now, maybe even backing up, I want to say, like, think about this, Okay. At this time, Daniel has been serving in the kingdom of Babylon for 55 years, okay? And, and here he is about to be promoted. And what do these guys try to do? They try to dig up dirt. They try to exploit his mistakes. Does that sound familiar to political campaigns of our day? Right? Super common. Look for anything you can. Any moral failure in their life, any mistake in their years in office, and we are going to exploit that thing as much as we can. 55 years of service, and they said they couldn't find anything. No basis for charges against him in his affairs of government. He was an exemplary man. 
So they conclude, you know, the only way we're going to get this guy is we're going to recommend a decree that they knew Darius would approve of and Daniel would defy. And so, they, you know, they understood Darius a little bit. And they understood Daniel a bit. And we'll look at how they knew Daniel would defy it shortly. But the simple decree, right? 30 days, and you can't pray to any god or any human except for King Darius. Pretty self-absorbed and narcissistic decree, wouldn't you say? You know, like, pretty, pretty self-centered. And um, as expected, Daniel defies this decree. And in accordance with the decree itself, he's placed in the lion's den. Right? And God intervenes and saves him. And like the story last week, that intervention is actually in the trial. Right? We saw last week how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved in the fire. They had this encounter with the Lord in the fire. What does Daniel say when Darius comes? He says, God sent his angel and stopped the lions. And we looked at this last week. This actual phrase, his angel, is a unique phrase. It's not an angel. It's not Michael. It's not Gabriel. Right? We have the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. And there are scholars who claim and believe that when we see this phrase, this idea, it's actually the pre-incarnate Jesus. So either way you look at it, Daniel has this encounter with God in the lion's den. And I make note to you that in this story, it's amazing. Darius has a rough night. Darius can't sleep. Daniel in the lion's den, like, like just Darius in the king's palace. Probably like one of the nicest beds, the nicest bed in the entire kingdom. And he can't sleep. David in the lion's den has an amazing evening. Fellowship with God. Two very different evenings in very different places. And it sounds like David, sorry, not David, Daniel had a better evening. So Darius comes out in the morning, distressed because he likes Daniel, as we can see through the story, finds out he's been saved, has Daniel led out of the lion's den, and Daniel's conspiring enemies with their families, which was obviously harsh but normal in that day and time, thrown into the same lion's den. And they're eaten immediately. And here's, here's the kind of thing I really want us to see before we start to look a little deeper, is that the decree that, that Darius made. You remember three times in the story, some variation of this is said, that it could not be repealed in accordance to the law of the Medes and the Persians. Again and again, that idea is stated. Well, I began thinking, like, okay, but it seems like it was repealed, because I guarantee you Daniel got brought out of the lion's den and, and prayed three times the next day. And, and so why is that thing about the law, the Medes, and the Persians repeated again and again? Well, I did a little bit of digging and discovered that in this day and time in the Medo-Persian Empire, 
It was believed that kings were speaking on behalf of the gods. Therefore, when they made a decree or passed a law, there would be no need for it to be changed. And it was a political strategy, a scheme. And this has happened throughout human history where where leaders get deified. They get made out to be gods. Caesar was considered a god in the Roman Empire. And it's a power move. It's a thing where they say, essentially, we speak for the divine authority. And therefore, anything that these Medo-Persian kings spoke need not be repealed. So for Darius to go back and issue a new decree was radical. And what is the decree that he gives? I'm going to read it one more time. The second decree that he gives is, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. Do you hear the similarity to what we were singing this morning? To what Starla read to us when we opened up? Like we didn't plan all of this. To, to, to coincide, but he makes this decree essentially like this is the real God, this is the true God, this is the living God. This was a radical reversal that happened. This completely godless, self-absorbed, narcissistic decree that's supposedly coming from a man who speaks for the gods is repealed and replaced with a decree that everybody in the whole world should revere the God of Daniel. The living God. Now, obviously, you can't legislate people worship God. And to be honest, actually, when, when things go that way, it tends to go bad for the church. And we could look at that in, in history, but we're not going to go down that track today. There's, I'll just say this. There is actually something really dynamic about the way God works, that the church seems to be more powerful, more vibrant, more effective in hostile environments. So here we have this major legislative and cultural shift that takes place in this story. Any followers of Jesus in the house today hoping for some major legislative and cultural shifts? Do you believe that God is able to do that? We have here a testimony that he can that he does. We see throughout history that he does. But I want to look today about into the behavior of Daniel in this story and what it can teach us as Jesus followers today. I told you I want to look at just good old-fashioned faithfulness. And there's a faithfulness in submission to Scripture And there's a faithfulness in prayer and praises that we see in the story from Daniel. But just to start, this good old-fashioned faithfulness, this is not a one-off standalone story that we just read. It is actually at the end of chapter after chapter of Daniel's interactions and affairs in Babylon over many years. He's 70 years old roughly at this time. He has served in this kingdom, like I already said, for 55 years. And we have some stories prior to, and that's, that should not be missed. You know, he hadn't just served for years, not just decades, over half a century. 
faithfully serving king after king. And even Darius was actually the official of a new Persian kingdom that had come in and taken over Babylon. So in the rise and fall of kings and kingdoms, you got Daniel there serving faithfully one after another. And this is much of the main point of the whole book of Daniel. To be seen that despite external factors, despite political upheaval, despite cultural hostility, despite physical threats, despite seeming impossibilities, God's people can live faithfully in the midst of it all. Why? Because we have an eternal king with a law above all other laws, with a kingdom that will not end. That's the king we serve. We can live anchored to that reality. That's why we sing the songs we sing. That's why we need to make the decrees like Beth Ann felt we were to make this morning. We can live anchored to the reality of this eternal king. I'm reminded of a a time, this is three years ago almost, and I was working on a project with, with Ben McCulloch over on Moresby Island. And Ben, you probably remember some of these days we would be coming home in very stormy waters. Uh, in, these, in these just standard size Emerson, I see Emerson, there are three of us in the room that can testify to the truth of this story. There, there, were, there were nights where it felt like, I don't know if I'm going to see my family again. We're like going over waves and the, bottom, the front end of the boat is submerging. And then we'd see the ferry go by. The ferry's just chilling. The ferry's just cruising through, plowing through the water like it's nothing. It's similar to life. There's storms, there's waves. What reality are you traveling through life in? Is it little or is it big? And when your heart is anchored and you're traveling through life with the reality of the sovereign God who rules over nations from generation to generation, it changes the way you go through the storms. We can faithfully walk with God through any situation, but it's less about our faithfulness, okay, and more about His And so we see with Daniel, this kind of faithfulness. Remember, what did they say? We won't find any basis for charges against this man unless it has to do with the law of his God. He was a man who lived faithfully submitted to the scriptures. Learning them, learning from them. And we can faithfully walk with God because he's given us the scriptures. But that statement will never find basis for charges against this man unless it has to do with the law of his God. Could the same be said of us? See, Daniel's submission to earthly laws... It flowed from his submission to a heavenly law, to a higher law, to a law that supersedes and transcended earthly laws. 
Daniel was distinguished among his peers, not because of his own perfection, but because of the perfect law of God that he submitted to in his life. I had a preacher, I heard a preacher once say that we could in our societies do away with the massive page after page list of laws if we could learn to just follow 10 that were etched in stone 3,400 years ago. See, because God's law, and and we need to hear this in our day, I really believe it, The, the, the scriptures were given for our good. We live submitted to Scripture because it's for our good. A lot of people see this as restrictive, but I say to you, it's liberating. Freedom is not the absence of restriction. It's the presence of the right ones. Put a fish who wants to be free outside the water and find out how free it feels. God's word and his law is liberating. It's the way that leads to life. And I'll tell you this, for me, the last couple years, living from this place of what does the scripture say, I have found super helpful and super liberating. You know, a lot of people, you guys know this, you live in the same world, the same presence of social media, et cetera, et cetera. And I've had so many articles sent to me. I got people, you know, waving the Constitution and all that sort of stuff, right? And um, I just say, I'm not, I'm not a disciple of the Constitution. I'm a disciple of Jesus. And I'm not saying that there's not injustice. I'm not saying that there's not evil. I'm not saying there's not corruption. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is that when we get caught up in, in look at this and look at that, and it's not, at least within the church, around what do the scriptures say to us? What do the scriptures teach us? How does God's word actually lead us to live in this time? We're, we're operating on a lower level than we have available to us. We have the perfect law of God, the word of God, the scriptures that we can dig into together. Does it make it simple? No. There's still a wrestling, but there's a, let's, let's look at the scriptures together. Is there a place for looking at data, science, all that sort of stuff? Absolutely. But what do the scriptures say? I heard Becky say this when she gave the initial invite to this biblical meditation group weeks ago. She said something along the lines of that, What she has found when she's asking all these questions about these times is that the word has given her a stable place to stand in unstable times. It maybe hasn't answered the specific questions she's answering, asking, but it's given her something solid to hold to. And I'll say to you this, I believe that most faith breakdowns happen in people's lives when they distance themselves from the community of Jesus followers or when they embrace a low view of Scripture. That's often the beginning of the end of a strong faith. 
It's because when we're not anchored to Scripture, what are we led by? Mainly, there's two things we're led by. Popular opinion or our feelings. They're not that reliable. Would you agree? Can I get an amen? The, uh, you know, it's like there is a better anchor. The scriptures. I'm reminded of a story I heard. I just, I got to share it. It's so good. And it's of an Air Force pilot named Jeff Patton. And the story goes that he was on a mission. And the mission they went on was, was on a night where the, the moon wasn't out. It was cloudy. It was extremely dark. And they went on the mission in that darkness on purpose to not be easily detected. And what he's getting at in the story is that in all of his training as a pilot of an F-15, it was driven into him, trust your instruments. Sometimes you may feel something, but listen to what the instruments on the dash of this plane tell you. And so here he is, he's on this mission in the dark, and he's detected by an enemy, and they start to fire at him, and there is a missile that actually gets shot at him that he knows is locked on to his plane. And he does a super violent maneuver to, to shake this thing. And he successfully shakes the missile, but it creates another problem. It was such an intense maneuver that he was left totally disoriented. And he didn't know um, properly like which way he was facing or anything. And everything in his mind told him he was on an upward right turn. But his instruments told him he was 60 degrees nosediving towards the earth. And he couldn't see because it was dark. And he, he, he knew, like his feelings, everything in him told him, you're going up to the right. You need to, you need to bring this thing down and level out. But his instruments were screaming at him, you are nosediving 60 degrees towards the earth. You need to pull up. And he was in this moment of crisis where he didn't know what to listen to, whether to listen to what he was feeling and what his head told him or what the instrument said. And he made the decision to listen to his instruments as he had been taught to do. And moments later, realized it saved his life. He had been plummeting towards the earth. And for us, Scripture acts like this. There's times you may be feeling something or you're disoriented. Anybody felt disoriented over the last while? And the Scriptures are this place that we can look to, to navigate, to go forward, because we have a God whose laws transcend any cultural moment, any time, that we can look to and be led by. This is what we see in Daniel in this time. The other thing we see in the story is faithful prayer and praise in his life. Right? He sees that the decree has been made. It tells us very clearly he knows it. Nevertheless, Here it is, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. It wasn't like this law got passed and he said, well, I tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to schedule a prayer meeting. You know, he, he just continued on in the path that he had always walked for decades. Three times a day, he gets down and pray. And how does he pray? Giving thanks to God. 
It's Thanksgiving today. You know, like, I thank God that we have a day called Thanksgiving. I think it's awesome, but it's, it's a lifestyle. It's more than one day a year, I hope, for you. But there's something about that posture. It's like having consistent, healthy food and physical activity in your life. I remember years ago when I was at ministry school, Bill would tell us, if you will faithfully pour your life into the scriptures and consistent prayer, rather than wait for crisis, you'll be equipped for when the crisis comes. And that's not to say that God can't give you grace for the moment. There is a, there's a grace that comes in the moment for sure. But I'd wonder this. Would a 30-day prayer prohibition even be a blip on the radar for some of us? 30-day prayer prohibition? What, when, when did that happen? I didn't even know about it. You know, like, like, like what's, and this is not like a, you know, beat you down. I just think it's a good question for us. Daniel felt it. You know, he didn't just have a daily prayer life. It was a three times a day. He probably prayed more than three times a day, but he had three times officially that he got down on his knees and he went through this action. And I find it amazing that Daniel would rather be in the lion's den than miss a prayer time with the Lord. And he's giving thanks to God, it tells us. Even in this troubling time when this narcissistic, self-absorbed law gets passed, he's there giving thanks to God like he always did. There's a power in gratitude. Gratitude is like the, a thing that pulls us out of the nosedive of complaint. It's so easy to downward spiral in negative thinking and in complaining and in bitterness and in all of that's going wrong in the world and on and on and on. And gratitude is this powerful practice that actually pulls us up out of that nosedive. So the invitation is whether in the lion's den or out of it, that we'd be a people of thanksgiving and praise. Delivered or destroyed, found faithful. You guys may be familiar with Hebrews 11, but it gives us this long list of great exploits that God's done and people who kept the faith in him were delivered from all sorts of situations. But if you're familiar, you may remember near the very end of the chapter, the, the, the story and the tone of it kind of shifts. It talks about those who in faith were rejected ridiculed, lived in caves, went without food, were sawn in two, but found faithful. See, faithfulness doesn't assure deliverance, but it does assure a testimony of a higher, more powerful, transcendent God. One whose reality we as his people live anchored in, in any situation. That even at the threat of a lion's den, we're found giving thanks, connecting, praying. 
And I don't know if you see it, but there's a ton of parallel in this story of Daniel and a man we really love around here named Jesus. You see, there was a ruler who also wanted to set Jesus free. It actually tells us that Pilate, the the governor, the Roman governor who had Jesus before him, he was looking for ways to let him go. But in the end, he he was trapped by these conspirers, these conspirers against Jesus. Jesus was falsely accused and set up like Daniel. Remember, the, the, the advisors all went to Darius and said, all of the satraps and administrators have gathered together and decided that we should pass this law. Well, Daniel wasn't a part of that meeting. Both Jesus and Daniel thrown in a cave or a tomb. Both have a stone rolled over the opening. Both are delivered ultimately from this great demise and the stone is rolled away and they are brought out. And the very trap that the conspiring enemy set for them becomes the demise of the enemy. If the devil knew that killing Jesus would accomplish what it has accomplished in the earth and in the cosmos. And for us, he never would have done it. What he thought was his winning blow of killing Jesus was actually the victory blow for the kingdom of God. This is who we follow. Whose reality and whose kingdom and whose ways are higher. The one behind the rise and fall of kingdoms. Whose reality and whose law we can live anchored in and give thanks for in any situation. You see, this this great reversal that happened where this decree had been passed and a new decree was given that was focused on God. Didn't come through a big noise that Daniel made. And it didn't even come through Daniel. God's the hero of the story. God's the one who delivered Daniel. God's the one who, who Darius looks at and goes, Oh, wow. Your God is the living God. His kingdom knows no end. But Daniel helped to display the reality of that God through simple obedience and faithfulness. And I would say to us today, as Jesus followers in this day in our age, where we long for cultural shifts, legislative shifts, that the mandate hasn't changed. It's simple submission to Scripture, being a people of prayer and thanksgiving, making disciples of Jesus. The instructions, the mandate, it's already been given. And our call is to faithfully walk in that path. King Jesus will win. That deserves an amen. Thank you, guys. King Jesus has one. 
Thanks, Charlotte. <laughs> King Jesus reigns. And so the invitation to us is regardless of what's happening, we stay faithful to the call. You've been given so much in Jesus to share with others. I look across right now a room of highly capable leaders. Carriers of the best news the world has ever known. Filled with the spirit of the living God. called to be ambassadors for Christ and his kingdom, pleading with the world, be reconciled to God. I know it can sound so easy and so simple when someone like me is up here just preaching and citing these verses or things. It's a wrestle. What does that look like here? What does that look like now? But that's best done in submission to Scripture in community with other believers. I love the expression of microchurch that we see with what Becky shared with us or in other places throughout this church. And so my, my hope for you is that as you look to who he is, what God is like, and into his law, that you be filled with the fuel to continue in faithfulness following him. Father, I ask that you would fill us with a bigger vision of you. An anchor. God, you've given us reliable instruments. Reliable scriptures. And we just commit ourselves afresh to follow you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Lifetree Church Sermon of the Week. At Lifetree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.